0: Welcome to the Like a Dance Boss podcast. My name's Jess and each episode, I'll be interviewing a dance studio owner from around Australia. Tune in to find out their tips and tricks, the secrets to their success, and how they cope with the daily stresses of running a dance studio. Please also check out my website, likeadanceboss.com.au for everything that you need to run a dance studio. Here, you can find checklists, templates, articles and lots of things to make your life easier when running a dance studio day to day. So Fiona, thank you so much for chatting with me today. Could we just start by you introducing your studio to our listeners? Hi Jess, uh, thanks for having me. Yes, my name is Fiona Holmes
1: and I'm the director of the Macalia Irish Dance School based in Southeast Melbourne.
0: Great and so for everyone listening, uh fiona's school is an irish dance school but if you don't teach irish dance please don't stop this podcast because i feel like she has so much to say and you're going to enjoy it whether you're an irish dance school or not mm-hmm. so with your studio it's called mecalia do you want to yeah. tell us the story behind the name sure so um, my name was fiona
1: MacAlia. so um, it's a family-run school Um, so my mum uh, started the school and it's sort of tradition in Irish dancing pretty much to call your school after your surname of the of the principal um, and started the school and then I've taken over over the last you know few years Um, so it's a family name so it's pretty pretty special um, to have that as the name of the business it's actually my maiden
0: name so and so that's not your mum's maiden name. Like what happens if you start an Irish school and then you get married? Really good point. Well, I got married and it's still called Macalea. Yeah. Um, so my
1: mum did start the school when she was married. Um, she also had an Irish name. She was McNeely. Neely um, yeah. and then she started Macalea. Um, and over the years, I've thought about um, the name of the school and that it's not obviously very commercial. It's very difficult to say um, at times. But it's a really important part of um, my history and our culture, which is a huge part of Irish dancing. So, yeah, so I guess you can call it um, whatever you want it to be. But I didn't change it when I changed my name. So, yeah, Yeah. I kept it as Yeah.
0: And what year was it that your mum
1: started the school? Uh, Well, mum and dad migrated to Australia in 1973. Um, And she was a young teacher and adjudicator coming from Scotland, actually. And came to Australia and started the class, um, and then taught right through until 1988, um, and then we actually immigrated back. So I was one of five children, and we all immigrated back to Scotland. Um, so the school started in 1973 and sort of closed in 88, and then Mum reopened in 1996 when I was
0: 16. Back here,
1: back here in Australia.
0: Yeah. Huh. Yeah. And. Do you think that your mum expected you to take over the school or wanted you to do that or was, like, what was the vibe there? Um, well, it's funny. Um, I'm sure she probably
1: expected that one of us would. I'm, I'm the only one that actually took on the role of principal, so there were five of us that danced. Yeah. Um, and one of my other sisters became a qualified teacher as well, um, but the other siblings didn't go down that same route. Um I remember being 16 and mum teaching all over Melbourne um, every night of the week and I would have to go with her. Um, I, would, I wouldn't say that I was um, overly enthusiastic as a 16-year-old going around with my mum and helping her teach and then going to my own dance school as well, where I learnt. But I'm so grateful that she did that because um, by the time I was 19, I was pretty much ready to start running the school full-time. And it just became a natural progression for me. Um, So, yeah, it was definitely a bit of a push. But um, also, it was just a way of life. It was our life. You know, my mum was a teacher and I went to class and helped her. That's what you did. You helped your family run the business. So, Yeah.
0: yeah. And what was the turning point for you to actually take over the school? Like, was there an official announcement when you became the principal? No, no. There was no sort of official time that it
1: happened. I think... Things changed so rapidly in Irish dancing. So, in 1996, there were six students um, at the Christmas party. And by 1997, there were 250 students at wow. the Christmas party. And that was because River Dance uh, toured Australia. Yep. So, River Dance really changed Irish dancing and brought it to mainstream. Yep. Um, so, I kind of went from assisting to having to do so many hours to help mum stay on top of it. And I could see how mum was doing it. It was a hobby. Um, and, you know, you threw your $3 in the tin as you walked in the door and there were, you know, 27 kids in a line behind me. I didn't know who anyone was. And that's how we taught. That's how we taught for years. And um, But I could see there was the potential for this to be more and, and to be more structured and to become a business. Yeah. Um, which is kind of a dirty word in Irish dancing. People don't like to talk about Irish dancing schools as businesses. Yeah. Um, it's, it's a real that's a real change of culture that's had to happen but it is a business and yeah I took I sort of I think I was 19 I was studying at uni and I just progressively progressively sorry just did more and more classes and mum was busier at work and I started making decisions and she just kind of stepped back and said go for it just you know you're as qualified as me now go for it so
0: because yeah yeah. that's what I was going to ask you were there things that you were desperate to introduce to the school when you started to have the power to do so? Mm -hmm. Were you like, oh, we're getting this uniform or the concert's going to be like this?
1: Absolutely. Uh, The first thing was I thought that um, my mum totally undervalued herself Mm -hmm. uh, in the way of the money of what she would charge for classes and often would teach um, for free. You know, there were probably plenty of children that didn't pay or couldn't afford to pay, but my mum just continued teaching them all. I could see that whilst that was a beautiful sentiment to have, it wasn't probably practical. Um, to be dedicating 20, 30 hours a week into a dance school that wasn't making any money. So I definitely turned it around into a profitable business um, that paid for our registration and our travel to competitions. And then from there, it became a career. Um, Definitely wanted to see us. It was always been a dream to go into a building. Um, That was probably something my mum never imagined she could do. She was probably happy just going from hall to hall. um and and a concert like i introduced the idea of a concert which was pretty rare in irish dancing but Ah. yeah it's not a big thing that happens it's becoming more popular um but a lot of our schools are very competition based um and the con the annual concert really wasn't a thing um but i so wanted our students to have more than the competition experience so yeah i started doing concerts um early on i think i was Maybe twenty three, twenty four, and and have grown the concept to what it has become up until this year. So
0: yeah, yeah. So, so exactly. when you took over, the classes were in um, halls or community centers, or
1: yeah. So we were in church halls, community centers. I think we were in five locations every every night of the week. Sometimes traveled between locations. Yeah. Um. So managing all those halls and having keys to all the different halls. Yeah different bookings. Um, so that's how we started. Um, and then I, I moved away. So I lived um, in Dandenong with my mum and dad and I moved uh, to Gippsland. And oh, I was okay. and I was commuting back and forth. And, and that's when I started to get the idea that maybe we could go into a building yeah. um, of our own, um, which again was pretty rare for the Irish dancing community to do something like that as well. So,
0: yeah. So you took on the lease... Of a factory, or yeah. So I found a factory in Pakenham,
1: um, a really small one. It was 2010, and I think back now, I was crazy. I had a one-year-old baby, um, but I now went. I know what that's like. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, yeah, this is a great time to expand. Um, so I was still living in Gippsland, so I felt Pakenham was a bit more achievable to travel to. So we actually relocated from places like Helen and Deborah Hills. Um, Dandenong to Pakenham. So that was a big move, um, but I could see that was where my future was probably going to be, and now I live in Pakenham myself, so yeah. um, I'm glad I made that decision. And, yeah, I took on a lease of a little factory and put our house deposit that my husband and I had saved into the dance factory instead of a house. Um, and as started, you do. As you do, and started the new chapter in 2010 of Makalea, and actually expanded into other dance styles
0: as well, which was, um,
1: yeah, which was a challenge for someone that didn't know anything about other dance
0: styles, so. Yeah, so what made you do that? Were your students wanting that? Like, were you getting inquiries for jazz and so you thought, I should bring that in? Yeah, I think I definitely wanted them to have more experiences. Um, I think the best,
1: uh, the more well-rounded, that have exposure to lots of different styles. Um, And I guess it was kind of my childhood dream. I was an Irish dancer, that's what I did. There was no time for anything else and I never got to try anything else and that was probably because my parents couldn't afford it or have the time. Um, So I reached down and I found some teachers um, that could help me through that first couple of years and we just built up another sort of area of the dance school. So we offered ballet, jazz, tap, acrobatics and musical theatre at the time Um, and a lot of the kids crossed over. So a lot of the Irish kids picked it up and we also gained a lot of children from that came in for those programs that then decided to start Irish Dancing. So it was kind of a win-win at that time and helped build the school. And it made me a little bit more, I guess, um, open to lots of different customers and yeah. you know, children, not just Irish Dancing. So
0: For yeah. sure. So around how many students do you think you had when you first moved to the factory? Yes, I, I was just thinking about that today. So...
1: We went there with forty-two students, um, yep. which is relative was is relatively big for an Irish dancing school, but was a huge still a huge risk. Um, I went in really probably quite naive. I thought I could grow the school to you know five hundred Irish dancers um, just because I was in a factory, which um, wasn't the case. But we did get to, I would say we probably got to about one hundred and seventy at the peak. Um, of our time at that location and yeah so it definitely worked it definitely grew the school um, in the right direction which was good so yeah
0: 42 is not many I feel like most schools would wait till they had like 150 before they even looked at you know taking on a lease
1: yeah I think for me it was paying rent at so many different uh, venues and you know I think everybody looks at those figures and then looks okay well I could pay a lease on yep. a factory um, and pay the same rent but obviously yep. there's so many more different things that come with a lease um, you know permits um, the build, the fit out and then the ongoing you know um, I was amazed by the ongoing costs um, yep. that people with a commercial lease again I was probably a bit naive about how much was involved but we definitely made it work
0: yeah, for the first few years, so, yeah. And then how many years were you in that um, particular factory for?
1: Uh, we ended up, we were in there for four years. Um, after two years, we actually took over the lease of the building next door as That's well. It's like every studio owner's dream. <laughs> yeah, it, okay. it was It was great. So we literally knocked down the wall between the two buildings yeah. um, and opened up into that space, which was great. And that was definitely the time where we, we grew and we were able to have so many more different classes um and then we were there up until the end of 2014 um or the start of 2015 my lease expired and due to some um ill health I decided to downsize and I left there which was one of the hardest things I've ever had to do so
0: yeah so how did you wrap it up there like did you sell everything like your fit out past well, well it lease was actually up, so you could just
1: yeah. The up. lease was up, so that was that was good. It was actually my husband had to manage the whole thing because I was quite I was seriously ill in hospital, was, um, pregnant with our second child. So I he took that on um, with some help, some help of some family and friends. Um, so we were fortunate that some of it we were able to keep and take. Um, yeah. Probably the most heartbreaking heartbreaking part was the mirrors. Yeah. Um, you know, the $6,000 worth of mirrors in the end had to be smashed off the oh. wall so that I wasn't there for that day. I couldn't handle that. Um, some of it we did sell off, uh, some to other dance studios, so we sold our ballet bars, um, some of our tarquette, uh, some of our flooring went off to different dance schools, the yeah. um, props and things like that that we had accumulated. But we didn't, it was still a relatively small studio, so there wasn't a huge amount of infrastructure yeah. to kind of get rid of, but I imagine it all, I, to be honest, it all happened so quickly and it was just a matter of unfortunately getting what we could get for it at that time because we just needed the closure
0: and yeah. to decide as a family where we were gonna go from there. So. so what happened to all the students? Like was this at the end of the dance year? Or was, this it, was
1: yeah. it was, so I fell ill in the July um, and pretty much I was out of the studio for the rest of the year. Yeah. Um, and that was that was really difficult because I was the studio. Yeah. Um, I was the one that was there all the time. I was running reception when I wasn't teaching. I was teaching a lot of hours. So we definitely saw a change. I had amazing teachers and family and friends that stood up and, and took over and kept the school going. Um, but we probably lost over a hundred students from the start of 2014 to the time when we left. Um, yeah. And, and that was hard, but but it was just, I think we were downsizing and we were changing and we also closed the ballet, jazz, tap, um, acro portion of the school. So yeah. some of the students did move on um, to other schools in the area and they've kept dancing, which is great to see. Um, and sort of just the Irish, the really dedicated group of Irish kids came with us. Yeah. So, so where did you go? I went to a, a school hall. Um, yep. Yeah. So we went through the phase of are we going to continue, Um, but I realised how much I loved the dancing and it was such a huge part of my life that even if I had 10 students, I would still teach dancing. I'm fortunate I have a degree in teaching as well, so I knew I had that as a backup to go and be a school teacher if I needed to. So we decided to keep going. We went to a a school hall, which was um, interesting. It was um, very old and (laughs) quite dirty and um, very limited, but we were there and we were there for three years and rebuilt the school. I think we got up to about 60, 70 at that time um, and taught out of an old school hall with no heating and no air conditioning and, and, you know, just provided the best tuition we could to the kids we had at that time.
0: So So what was your enjoyment level compared to when you're in your factory? Uh, oh, look, I actually, I was a lot less stressed um, yeah. because of the overheads
1: um, and my heart goes out to all the dance studio owners at the moment that have those incredibly high overheads. I, I can only imagine the stress. Um, so for me, it was, we paid as we were there. Um, you know, you didn't pay for the 10 weeks a year, 12 weeks a year we don't teach because of school holidays and um, term breaks. So I actually really just fell in love with dancing again. And I think... Yeah when I was at the studio, I was so concerned about meeting overheads and meeting targets that I kind of didn't enjoy that process of teaching. So for me, it was a really positive thing. It reignited my love for just teaching without all the added pressure that comes yeah, with right. running a big
0: business. So, And what about the standard of the kids were they still reaching the same standards that you expected even though you're in the school hall or? um yeah look uh, yeah when i look back at that period of time we, we definitely still had the
1: same sort of level of success that we would had at the studio i definitely saw an improvement at the studio because of the environment that mirrors um, the beautiful spaces they were inspiring obviously kids were happy to come there yeah. um and then we transitioned to the old school hall and it was difficult um, but we just tried to, you know, work hard as a teaching team and, and the kids continue to develop and progress. Um, but probably not at the rate they would have in a in a custom purpose-built facility. Yeah. But we still managed to maintain the standards that I would expect of myself and of my students. So, yeah.
0: yeah. So fast forward a few years, you're now in a different venue, but you're not <laughs> looking at going back into a a factory or would you pursue that again? Uh, Look I think we were really fortunate Um, it's a little bit of a story but I was
1: at the hall one day and I was teaching and the the secretary came down and advised me that as of next year this was in the November that we couldn't use the hall they were going to bulldoze it and build classrooms so you'll have to find somewhere else and I'm sure you can all appreciate yeah sure I'll just go find another school hall around the corner. Yeah. Um, even though Pakenham is full of schools, um, the halls and gyms are all used for you know, basketball and what have you. Mm. So I drove home quite defeated and I drove past this church. It was the Salvation Army Church and it's only around the corner from my house. And a friend of mine is associated with the church. And I saw her car in the car park and it was about nine o'clock at night. And I got home and I went, no, I'm going to go back and talk <laughs> to her. And I went in and and it was like 9.30 or whatever it was. And I went in and, and she was there and she let me in and she said, what are you doing here? And I was upset and I said, oh, my gosh, I've lost the hall. And I think this is it. I think I have to close. And she said, come with me. Look at this space. And we went out the back of the church in Pakenham and there was this huge space that wasn't being used for anything but storage. And I looked at it and I went, oh, my gosh, I can make this work. And then we went to the the pastors, I guess, of the church the next yeah. day. And they were amazing. They said, let's do it. So they allowed me to go in and renovate this whole space at the back of their building. Um, they helped me and I had amazing support. And we we rebuilt a dance studio there. And so now I rent the back of that building. Um, and that's where we've been since 2018. And it's been the best thing that's really ever happened to the school. We love it there. Um the people are great, the facility's great, it's safe,
0: it's big, nice big car park, big waiting yeah. areas. Yeah, it's been great. Do so you feel like you've got that home base for the school again? I do, I do yeah. and not having
1: to take, you know, the CD player, or oh, not CD player now, the but CD player, CD player <laughs> <laughs> I sound really old, um, like, you know, your stereo and your yeah. your sign and all that stuff, yeah, you just walk in and it's ready to go. So, yeah, it's really exciting, really
0: really been a good move the last couple of years and roughly how many students and staff would you say you have if we go back to maybe term one when you were actually there yeah so we uh, um, we got to 133 um uh, for the start of term one
1: 2020 which is the highest we've been since 2011 so that was really fantastic um and staff we have eight qualified teachers including myself um, that are a part of the team and then we have about four assistants um, but we all work I work mainly in the business and the, the team sort of do little hours here and there um, a lot of them are having babies and going through a different stage of their life so I'd say we have a team of 12 but we don't all work the same hours in the same week yeah. at the same time so yeah so we've so, definitely grown
0: up how many hours would you say you generally work per week for teaching and then how many hours for admin and other tasks? Too many, too many, Jess. I teach every
1: class I'm present at, at the moment. Um, Pre-COVID, probably 25 hours a week um, on the floor, actually teaching the program with assistance. And then um, now during COVID, I'm, doing most of the classes, um, so I would say I do probably now about 15 hours online a week of teaching. And then admin when I can. Um, I did um, bring on someone to help um, in sort of 2017, 2018, and that has been a game changer. So helping with the accounts and emails with parents. Um, we don't have an office as such. Yep. We're all, it's all done remotely. Um, but probably administration of... I'd say another twenty hours a week, so I'm definitely—it's definitely a full-time job for me. No doubt
0: about it. Yeah, those hours are huge. So, are they the hours you do because you feel that that's necessary, or is that your choice? Like, do you want to teach that much? um, I think at this point in time,
1: I'm happy to teach that much. Um, I like to certainly be across all levels of the school because we are a smaller sort of school to uh, to other dance schools in the area. And we, don't, we only have one studio, so we don't have multiple classes running at the same time. Mm-hmm. So, that allows me to be in that studio seeing those children and dancers. Um, I definitely would like to probably do a little bit less, um, but the circumstances at the moment is a lot of my teachers, I have three on maternity leave. Um, I, and I have two that are school, school teachers, so their lives have all completely changed in the last twelve months themselves. So they're not as available to do those contact hours. Um, but they, if, if I needed a week off or I needed some time, they would all be there to yeah. jump in. So, but I do, I do actually really enjoy doing the hours I do. But um, balance is still a tricky thing for me to, yeah, and to let, and to let go of things and to step back and let other people do things. I'm still working on that.
0: Yeah. (laughs) And you're a mum of two, which makes it a little bit more challenging. So what's your tip for the mum studio owners out there or for people who are like me, who are just in our new chapter of mum slash studio owner life? Um, Definitely. Look, there's, I have an amazing husband. So, and I have
1: amazing parents and I should probably That's the only way I could do what I do. Um, My parents actually live on our property. Um, So they moved in with us about seven years ago. And they they live in a unit on our property. And that's made a massive difference because I have a built-in network of support and people that can take care of my children. Um, So that's that's a big thing if you're going to do the sort of hours I do. But, you know, I probably look back and wish I hadn't done as many hours. Um, I'm actually loving this time at home. Yeah. Um, COVID suits us right now because I get to be with my children a lot more. Um, so my advice is you know, definitely build your business to a point that um, it's, it's successful enough you can walk away from it. Uh, it's probably a regret of mine that I don't have um, more time away um, yeah. from the business and I've made myself so valuable um, that it's hard to do that, but I am working on it, and I, I think it's something we have to try to work on all the time. But just enjoying the good times, saying no, say no to things is okay, um, and and switching off, you know, turning off the computer, and and having days where you say, well, I'm just not going to to look at those emails today, and or yeah. you know, my children come first, and that's okay. That's yeah, okay.
0: so that's a good tip. Mm. Um. And who do you outsource to? Like, do you hire a bookkeeper? You see an accountant? Do you have someone that does your graphic design? Yeah, actually, I'm really fortunate. I've got a great
1: accountant who's been with me since 2010. So he's definitely been through the waves of the Hmm. business um, and he's really supportive. Um, And I think finding a good accountant that's supportive and doesn't make you feel like you don't know what you're talking about. Um, I talk to a lot of studio owners in my industry and, you know, I think sometimes, yeah, they feel like they're not supported by those people. They're outsourcing and paying really good money to yeah. do that job. So finding someone that takes the time to listen to you. Um, in regards to book work, the, the, the lady I've brought on for administration, Sonia, is amazing. And she helps a lot. She's a bookkeeper by trade as well. Mm. Um, and actually her husband, who's also an incredible um, supporter, is a graphic designer. So he does a lot of my graphics. But I've actually learned a lot from Canva and from you, Jeff. So Thanks. I'm learning
0: all that's, the time. <laughs> that's such a perfect setup to have a graphic designer and a bookkeeper. I know. I know. It's amazing. And um, they've just been incredible. Their daughter's
1: grown up in our dancing school and um, she's sort of at the end of her career now, but um, they've just been an incredible support and yeah. great people to outsource, really professional. And yeah, so, and definitely just talking to other dance studio owners. I think they're the best the best people to, out, to reach out to and get support from. So, yeah.
0: yeah. I think what's coming up a lot in these um, chats that I've been doing on this podcast is that if you're not great at something or there's someone who's really good at something, get them to do it. Because there's no point us half doing our books or half doing our design and marketing when we can definitely outsource that to someone who's a professional in it and passionate about it. Yeah, definitely,
1: and I think if you're in a position to afford it, um, definitely do that. But look at it at the time that that person is spending on that part of your business. You could be spending that time creating new opportunities like workshops or content that not only inspire your dancers but also create revenue that helps the cost of those people. Yeah, that's true. So I think if you, yeah, that's something I'm definitely getting better at and probably for the first time, sort of feel like I've got a sense of control. Um, COVID's yeah. actually given me time to breathe <laughs> and
0: look at all of that, so which has been good. Maybe it's because That's you're good. becoming wise with your 40th approaching. Yes, thank you for mentioning that, Yeah, No worries.
1: I'm hitting the big four O next week. So, yeah, I'm certainly not the teacher I was at 25. Um, I don't think I'm even the teacher I was at 30. Um, you know, I think I've changed it. And, and life, I've had some you know, big hurdles to get through with health, my health. And that's definitely given me more perspective. Um, Even though I still work a lot in my business, I've definitely got a better approach to things than I used to have, that's for sure.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. Um, And let's talk about Jump and Jig. So you've developed a preschool program which is now sold all over the world. Did you start that for your own school? And then you just thought, I may as well go big with this or did you yeah what's the story okay so um so we moved as i mentioned
1: before we moved to pakenham in 2010 and the phone started ringing when people knew there was irish dancing in the area and it was all these mothers of two-year-olds and i was like oh my goodness like it's not an age group that we'd ever taught like you would sort of take on a four-year-old Um, Because Irish dancing is not the easiest art form to master. There's no Mm -hmm. doubt about that. Um, But I was like, well, what am I going to do? I need these people. Like I've just come into this factory and we were already offering a kinder ballet class, which was actually taught by Della King. And um, I had watched her teach this class and I was watching just the structure of it. And I thought to myself, well, I could do this with Irish dancing. So we started saying yes to these parents and they came in and I just sort of created content as much as I could on a whim and it was trial and error. And we did that. We did that right up until, well, we still do it. Um, And I was at a big competition and a young teacher came and spoke to me and she said, "Oh, tell me about these little kids you teach. How are you doing this? And and a lot of these little kids had gone on to become the national champions and our teams were winning a lot of titles so we were definitely doing well because of our preschool program and people could probably see that and this teacher came to me and she said oh I just how do you do it and I and she said I would pay someone to teach me that or I would love to buy what you do and it was like a light bulb moment I went oh really okay so the February of 2019 I was asked to present at a convention in Canberra a teacher's convention and I presented this idea, Jump and Jig, and, and it was a structured program that you could um, purchase the license to teach. And I didn't know what people would think. And um, well, they loved it. And I was blown away by the support. And it's slowly been, yeah, spreading across the world. And, and we're in um, Australia, New Zealand, America, Canada, um, England. We're about to go into Scotland, um, possibly Russia. And somebody from Mexico contacted me a few weeks ago. So yeah, it's wherever there's Irish dancing, I'm trying to put jump and jig there and help these people build their schools. So yeah.
0: So it's not that people want to replace their preschool program. It's more that it doesn't really exist in the Irish. Yeah, people don't necessarily have one.
1: Um, I think people over the years have tried it, um, but didn't quite know what to do with a two-year-old that came to an Irish dancing class. Mm -hmm. Um, so I have a degree in education um, so I sort of tapped into that and my planning and just trial and error watching what I did with my own students my own daughter is kind of she was the baby um, at the beginning of all of this chapter and I worked with her and I would try things with her and see what worked and and yeah they just wanted something that was ready made for them you know they can literally open the handbook and it tells them what to do Mm -hmm. um it provides the music the structure the lesson plans we also do all the marketing for them um so we provide them with social media um resources and support and yeah it's just grown from there so it was obviously there was a
0: need for it and yeah so we've had a lot of support which is great it's amazing and is it like a passive income now like do you set it up and you sell it and then that's it, or is it ongoing for you? Like, are you sending out monthly class plans and stuff? Yeah, so um, what, what happens is uh, for the
1: initial licence, uh, the licence holder gets the, the, you know, the programme and, and the lesson plans um, for the year. Um, so, but we're constantly trying to come up with ways to support them and provide them with new content. So we had to adapt the Jump and Jig original programme to what we now sell as Jump and Jig at home which is the at-home version of the program, which is a little bit different and cheaper, which is great. Um, So they pay an annual subscription or an annual licence and then every year they pay an ongoing subscription fee to have the rights to use the program and market the program. So it's been really wonderful because it's a source of income outside of the school um, yeah. that I can, I can have every year as long as I look after the license holders and, and they feel it's worth renewing every 12 months, which so far has been really successful, even with COVID, which is, which is a good mm. sign. So.
0: And that's interesting that you said that people were noticing an improvement in your older students, because obviously you were starting them a bit younger and they were getting used to structured dance training that little bit earlier. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. So, Um, like we just had a lot and we have we
1: had a lot of kids which which helps when you're putting teams together so you know we were sort of winning everything in the under 10 and then we were winning everything in under 12 and doing really well and that's when I mean that's how a lot of people gauge people's success right is how well their students are dancing and winning I certainly don't gauge my success on that but from the outside looking in people were Mm. like well hang on McAleer have got all these little kids where are they coming from and then it was like, oh, they've got this preschool program. And, yeah, definitely. Um, and they're such a tight-knit group um, because they've grown up together. Um, and the parents, yeah. uh, it's like a little community within a community. Like like your preschool program, they become very um, loyal to each other, the preschoolers yeah. and their mothers, because they grow up together. So that's helped as well because they've all kind of stayed together and helped each other get better. So yeah. definitely a big improvement.
0: And so, talking about Irish dance comps, um, it's all very structured, like both in Australia and internationally. So, for people like me, if you rewind and tell me what you told me a few years back about how there is like an Australian governing body which sits underneath an international governing body. Yeah. So, um, there's quite a few
1: different um, international governing bodies of Irish dancing. There's not just one, Mm -hmm. Um, but I'm fortunate to be a part of the, uh, we call it the CLRG. It's on commission, Um, the commission of Irish dancing. I just said it the Irish way. Um, And the CLRG um, have um, branches um, in different countries. So the CLRG Australian branch is called ADA, Australian Irish Dancing Association Incorporated. And then from there, each state has a, a branch. Mm-hmm. So we kind of have three tiers. We have the international top level of theology, then ADAR Inc., and then ADAR Victoria. And I'm registered with all three of those governing bodies. Um, and that enables me to enter competitions that are registered with the governing bodies. My students complete exams with the governing bodies, um, And, yeah, so it's a very structured um, program, I guess, or association that, yeah, yeah, we're a part of and with a lot of history. So we've just celebrated 50 years here in Australia of the associations that I belong to. So yeah, a a rich history, yeah.
0: So if I wanted to, hypothetically, if I wanted to open an Irish dance school, can I just open an Irish dance school and teach Irish dance classes or do I need to register with a governing body? Well, I, I mean, anybody can definitely start a dancing school
1: um, of any genre. But if you wanted to enter those students in the competitions and you wanted them to do exams, um, then yes, you would have to complete a teaching uh, qualification, which is quite difficult. So we have to do 12 grades of exams, then our teacher's exam, which is quite a big exam. Um, and then you register and then you can start the class Um under the banner of those organizations and different organizations have their own systems as well um, yeah. so there are there are a couple of others in australia but um, where we would be the biggest in australia yeah. so yeah you could start your own school but they wouldn't be allowed to compete in our events um yeah. so it's quite hard to get an irish dancing school up and running it's probably a, a journey that lasts a lifetime
0: really yeah it's there. so if you want to have a competitive reputable irish dance school it would be with a qualified instructor, De- and a yeah. Governing body, definitely. And I think yeah. you know it's such a
1: it's such a unique art form, and there there are definitely the right and the wrong ways to do things. And mm-hmm. you know, I think having teachers that are qualified and as seen as qualified by the governing bodies is the best avenue to go down to make sure you're getting the quality tuition. Um, you know, and that your child could definitely you know, prosper and go on to achieve great things if they want to within our organization.
0: So, yeah. yeah, because, yeah, Irish dance is, would you say it's not as creative as my dance world? You know, in a jazz routine, we really have the freedom to choreograph whatever yeah. moves we want. Um,
1: at, at the beginning levels, um, we have a fairly set syllabus. Um, so... know we have grading rules we have rules on the grading levels of dances so you can only include a b and c um you can't include anything you like in those levels once Mm -hmm. you get to the highest level which is open um the choreography you're not limited in the sense that um you have to do certain elements in the choreography and look it is evolving rapidly um at so many levels, like there's always new moves and there's always new ideas and, and everybody sees them on Instagram and goes, oh, my gosh, I love that. I love that idea. We work with a choreographer from overseas who comes in and helps um, do a lot of our content, which is amazing. So we're kind of always at the forefront of what's happening um, and I think that's important. But, yeah, no, you certainly couldn't do a scorpion or a, um, or a, a you know, a, a forward walkover uh, other splits you couldn't do anything yeah. like that um but it's constantly changing and you can definitely see influences coming from ballet and tap uh-huh. now like lots of ballet moves are in irish dancing now so on to Shaz, we have them in irish dancing all the time um and different things so yeah yeah it's, it's a it's, it's
0: influenced but it is governed to
1: a point definitely how just yeah. do whatever you like yeah
0: and from being able to look at I keep saying my dance world, but, you know, the jazz tap ballet dance world, looking at us and then looking at the Irish dance community, what do you think the main benefits of having these governing bodies would be? Um, probably one of the, um, is to preserve the
1: culture and tradition because obviously Irish dancing is for, first and foremost a cultural activity. Not mm-hmm. that I'm saying just Irish children do it. I mean, one of the best children we have in our class is, her mother's Greek and her father's from Cyprus and she's the Australian champion. So you don't need to be an Irish answer to be an Irish answer. Um, but the governing bodies, you know, really maintain the standard of teaching, which I think is really important. You, you have to go through a rigorous exam to become a teacher. And I think that's really, really important. I mean, I can say that every teacher on the floor in my school is super qualified and has worked through years and years to get to that point. Um, so I think associations are good for that point. I think um, associations are also good to, with co- competitions and regulating competitions um, and judges. You know, I think everybody that judges our competitions has, like myself, is a qualified adjudicator. Um, you get uh, nominated and then you're voted on to judge events. So mm-hmm. we, we as members, get to vote on who's judging our events um, rather than just the director of the competition choosing a judge and putting that judge that could be seen to be biased or maybe seen to have a preconceived idea about a certain school. Um, Not that I'm saying it doesn't happen in Irish dancing, but those are some of the things that, you know, help, I think, with an organisation and a set syllabus for exams. Um, And just, you know, keeping a level of, I don't like the word, but I'm going to say control over the competition scene so it doesn't explode and like our beginners aren't allowed to wear makeup they're not allowed to wear tan um you know we have really strict costuming rules now for beginners they can't have an elaborate expensive costume they have to wear a school dress or a skirt and a top so i think things like that are good because it helps make the dancing maybe more accessible to yeah. different
0: families and schools So. And it sounds like it would be a little more consistent or a little bit more of an even playing field for the kids because they're learning similar moves and routines and dress similarly. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, and, and
1: all the adjudicators judging them, um, you know, are uh, you know, uh, qualified and have to re-register every year and have their finger on the pulse to a degree, know what's going yep. on and, and are active in an, in an, in an organisation. Yep. So, you know, you could be a registered adjudicator but you decide for 10 years you're going to go do something else you wouldn't necessarily walk back in and just be a judge you know on that day you would have to re-register and things like that so yeah yeah i think consistency associations bring consistency and structure yeah um, and credibility to the associate to the to the art form in my opinion so.
0: yeah and what do you think the disadvantages are of having governing bodies like do you go to our dance comps and go. This is great. <laughs> <laughs> well, I do because I
1: get to be a mum. Because as you you know, Lila does other dance styles with you guys. So I love it. I love being a dance mum. It's actually quite funny. Um, Watching the other dance mums makes me laugh. Um, (laughs) But it's nice to sit back and just be a mum. Oh, look, I think we can learn from each other. I think we can definitely learn from the way you structure your competitions, um, the results all being fairly quickly. Um, Irish dancing competitions can go for a really long time um, and that sort of puts people off that results take so long. Um, I probably, the disadvantage is that it's striking the balance between tradition and progression. And, um, you know, we we have to respect the people that are in the positions in the association and governing body and respect their experience and 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 their knowledge. But I think uh, there's a new generation of teachers and adjudicators like myself who want to see things go in a different direction um, that is more progressive and is more realistic to what we're dealing with as teachers. And mm-hmm. that is difficult. That is difficult because whilst we have a voice, um, we're not always going to have what we want happen and we have to kind of compromise. And that can be difficult because, you know, I think everybody looks at it from their own perspective and not the bigger mm. picture. So, Yeah, that makes yeah. sense. Yeah. And you don't always agree with all the rules is probably another thing. There are rules. Yeah. There's always going to be rules
0: that you don't agree with. but that, I that, think that's, that's where it. a lot of studio owners are concerned because a lot of people do want some type of governing body Um, for my type of dance world, like we have our ballet governing bodies and we have some governing bodies but there's not really anything nationwide or statewide as such for majority. Um, And I think, yeah, people are worried like will rules come into place where my students can only train for this many hours or will my students have to wear this type of costuming? Will I have any opportunity to be creative or am I going to just have to do what's handed to me? So.
1: Yeah, and I can, yeah, absolutely understand that. Um, like, at no point do our associations tell us how to run our businesses. That's probably something I should say. Um, but if we want to be a part of their events, um, we have to adhere to the rules. But we definitely mm-hmm. get the opportunity to network at annual conventions. We have monthly meetings um, at the moment all online, which is fantastic. Mm-hmm. And we talk about ways to improve our competitions and and work, trying to work collaboratively. Um, which your industry actually does quite well without an association, I would like to say. Mm-hmm. I see that already. Um, whereas even with an association, we're not always great at working collaboratively because it is so competitive. Yeah. So teachers aren't always open to sharing and working together. So,
0: yeah. Whereas, yeah. So yeah I that know. makes sense. No, it does for sure. Um, what would you say is the most challenging part about being a studio owner? um probably for me learn
1: learning to not have everything perfect um mm-hmm. and and switching off like I think my mind and you're probably the same Jess um I'm constantly thinking about the next thing and which is really hard in COVID by the way cause there is no <laughs> guarantees of what that is I find it I find it really difficult to switch off that part of my brain I'm so passionate about Irish dancing and and love it, love it so much that sometimes it takes over way too many parts of my life and I have to stop and say, okay, no, you know, it's okay to leave it at that. You've done enough on that today and now you need to put your energy into other parts. I think when you run your own business, I think that happens a lot. You, you find it hard to switch off and so yeah. that's probably a challenge. The biggest challenge um, for me at the moment is the balance. Yeah, yeah.
0: definitely. So trying to get better at that. And what would you say is the best or most rewarding part about being a studio owner? Just the people, the
1: relationships, Um, you know, getting to watch these dances. Like um, last week we had one of our teachers bring her baby who is a month old online. I've known her since she was six and she grew up in my dancing school. She became a dancing teacher in my dancing school. Now she's a mother. And to me, it's, it's, the, the relationships with the people like we're really fortunate we've been incredibly successful we've had wonderful wonderful highs of winning amazing titles and that's all really great um, but just watching these kids grow up and having relationships with them and watching my daughter fall in love with it as much as I love it is probably yep. one of the most rewarding things yeah mm-hmm. definitely.
0: Yeah, you're making me want to be an Irish dance school because <laughs> that sounds really good. <laughs> yeah, it has its it has its challenges, Jess. So don't worry. <laughs> sounds sounds a bit shinier and brighter than <laughs> my school. not all the time, not all the time. Look, we know we know how to have a good time. That's for sure. Um, yeah, and that's what we're all really missing. We miss the competition. That part of the competitions. The so well, yeah, the the Irish are uh, known to drink. Is that what happens? <laughs> the... Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, we, it, it's kind of a running joke that
1: um, when we go to a major competition, there's hall A and hall B, which mm-hmm. is like the two halls running. And then there's hall C, which is the bar where all the teachers will be. That <laughs> so we're all like, see you at hall C. We'll all get yeah. hall C. And that's the thing, like we can, on the dance floor, we're so competitive and, But at the end of the night, we all retreat after a day of competition, especially our nationals and things like that. And it's like the greatest fun. And I've got to travel the world and meet the most amazing friends because of Irish dancing. That would be the best part, definitely. Yeah, Yeah, the relationships by far.
0: And going back to river dance, you said that gave... The school a really big boost, and then did you find that again like a decade later with Emma Wiggle? Like, are they the two biggest yeah. influences? Yeah, River Dance.
1: I mean, 1994 River Dance was the half, um, was the interval act at the Eurovision Song Contest. Oh. So it was the halftime act because Ireland was hosting. Yeah, I was, I was 14 and I'd heard that something big was going to go down, and in the you know, because we knew a lot of the dancers in the performance. And I sat there and I watched it and I thought in that moment that my life had changed. I knew yeah. my life had changed forever because they were suddenly using their arms and they had black dresses and they had beautiful long hair swishing around and <laughs> a guy had his arms up and that was Michael Flatley. Um, and that everybody saw that, wanted to do Irish dancing. And we still have people that see that and want to come to our classes. Um, Emma's been an incredible... Um, influence on the Irish dancing community and has brought so many great um, Irish dancing segments into her show. Mm. Um, so yeah, there's definitely a generation that see Emma and want to die dicky do Dum Just like yeah.
0: I'm doing um, it.
1: Yeah, you are doing I'm it. I'm doing yeah. it all around my lounge room. Yeah. Die dicky do Dum And, um, and no, she, they've been great. I mean the Wiggles have had a long time affiliation with Irish dancing. Um so they've been heavily involved. A friend of mine was the original choreographer. And so we're really fortunate. But Emma just, yeah, she's captivating, isn't she? And she's such a great role model like yeah. the kids and with everything she does. So, yeah, she's so definitely
0: helped boost the numbers. Was she an Irish dancer? Like, did she do Irish she dance was. clubs? Yeah, Emma did. Um, so Emma danced for a school in Sydney called the Riley School.
1: They're actually a jump and jig school, the school she went from. yeah. Um, And her teacher was Donna Riley. Uh, She currently dances at the Halloran School, which is one of my really good friends' schools. And she was in there this week doing classes with all the kids. And so she still goes to classes and dances along. But, no, she was a competitive dancer um, herself and then... Yeah, but she was she did everything. So she did all different styles. She just didn't she didn't do just Irish dancing. Yeah. That's why she's gotten to where she is. So
0: Yeah. Girl, yeah. she's so versatile. She's Irish dancing, singing, acting. She does a split. <laughs> like um, I know, just, just a bit of ballet. Um, I feel like she has the hardest dance gig in Australia.
1: I think she does. She I, yeah. yeah, she works really hard. So she's 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 a great, great, great ambassador, I think, just for so many things. So Yeah, yeah.
0: for sure. Yeah. Um, and is there anything else you'd like to share? We should probably wrap it up soon because I know that you're teaching a Zoom class soon. Oh, yes. <laughs> Thanks for reminding me. I sure am
1: right here in my garage. Um, no, probably just, I oh, look, I've really enjoyed the opportunity and I hope I've given the different dance worlds a bit of an, um, a look in, uh, an insight into what we yeah. do. Um, obviously we're all struggling just like all of you are with COVID. Um, one of the great things that's come out of COVID is we've got this new international working group. So teachers from all over the world are now collaborate, collaborating on ideas and doing things. Um, one really good thing that's come out of this as well is International Irish Dance Day, um, which I've had a little bit of involvement with getting off the ground. So that's been really good. So we're going to have our own special day on the 13th of, sorry, 17th of September. Better get the date right. Um, so, yeah, like, I think we're all learning to adapt um, yeah. throughout this COVID period. But I know I know firsthand how difficult it is, especially
0: for the schools in Melbourne mm-hmm. and Victoria. It's been a real struggle. So, yeah. But no. Because- Thank you so much. I really enjoyed listening to your story. Like, it was hard to stop and ask questions because I, uh, I was so interested. I feel like I could ask you so many more things. But we'll save that for another day. Definitely. Well, thanks, Jess. Thanks for having me and Yeah, all the best with Like A Dance Boss. I love it.
1: Loving it. I'm on all the time. Thank you. Yeah, thanks for everything. No worries.